Hey, Christ community. Great to see all of you. Uh, we're glad you're here, whether you're at our West Campus or 15th Street or Traditions Venue. Really, really glad, <clears throat> excuse me, that you are here. Hey, before we jump into the message, I wanted to give an update on a, a couple of things, actually. Uh, first of all, beginning Monday, I'm going to be taking a nine-week sabbatical. Um, our elder board encourages our pastors to periodically take an extended season for spiritual renewal and refocusing, just because of some of the unique demands of pastoral ministry. I haven't taken a sabbatical for several years, so I'm looking forward to time to just replenish and rest and do some soul care as well as seek the Lord about his vision for our church. So let me just say I am super excited about all that's happening at Christ Community this summer. We have a fantastic teaching team lined up with an awesome teaching series called Tattered Covers. In this series, uh, we'll be focusing on how God brings transformation to the lives of ordinary, broken people like you and me. Super excited about that. Also, our For the City and Beyond vision will continue to move forward. There will be regular updates um, provided and opportunities for you to engage in, in uh, the nine initiatives, um, including uh, this coming Wednesday when we will be having an engage night focused on the, the initiative of helping the emotionally broken and the addicted. So if you're interested in that area, even just exploring what that might look like to be involved, <clears throat> we encourage you to, to come this, this Wednesday. <clears throat> it's going to be a great, great summer at Christ Community. You won't want to miss it. <clears throat> okay, speaking of For the City and Beyond, I wanted to give an update as a real We try to give updates about different aspects of the initiatives. I wanted to give one about um, just an update as it relates to our West Campus. As most of you know, a few years ago, God gave us 35 acres of land along West 10th, just west of Boomerang Golf Course. And we believe God wants us to use that land to impact this region in a greater way with the gospel. And part of this vision involves building a permanent West Campus. We have a West Campus that meets in a high school, building a permanent West Campus, which will enable us to continue to make disciples and impact this region. But this vision is about way more than a building. Our heart is to create a destination development, a gateway to the city with bike paths and shops and green space and a, a Zoe's West coffee shop. We want this property to be for our city in a tangible way, to be a blessing to our community. So it's very exciting vision for this 35 acres. And I wanted to just share a couple of pieces um, that are moving forward. First of all, we are nearing the end of our rezoning process which is the first step in moving towards this vision. So that's just about to be finalized. We're also <clears throat> going to begin putting in place the infrastructure needed to make this vision a reality. So that means exciting things like sewer lines, right? And water and, and utilities, all that really exciting stuff. But things are moving forward. Please be praying for this vision. Feel free to go out and prayer walk the property. I did that just the other day. Let's just continue to ask God to lead us in this whole process. This is his vision. Pray that he would use this land <clears throat> to bless and to impact our community for him. <clears throat> And I am so grateful for, or for the many of you who believe in this vision and you are following God's leading to invest financially in it. So far, we have three-year commitments that total over $4.6 million, which is awesome. And we just passed the $650,000 mark in terms of financial actual gifts given towards this vision, which is such a great start. <clears throat> so thank you. Thank you, church, for your amazing faith, your amazing 
amazing generosity. <clears throat> if you haven't yet made a commitment to um, this vision and you're interested, in, in, in being a part of it financially, we would love for you to jump on board. You can pick up a For the City and Beyond packet. If you haven't seen that information, it's in the lobby. There's, there's a commitment card there. Or you can go to our, the website we've created for this, which is forthecityandbeyond.org, where you can fill out a card online. Um, any contributions can be made via our website or our app or our text to give option or during our offerings and our, and our services. We have, we have a number of people who have set up online giving for this, which makes it really, really simple. Um, as always, please, please let us know if you have any question about any aspect of this vision. We want you to have all the information you need. So if you want to dialogue, you have a question about anything in particular, please ask us. We would love to, to talk with you about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so we are in week three of a four-week teaching series in which we're focusing on relationships, how we can improve our relationships, whether it's our marriage or our relationship with our children or our coworkers or our friendships or boyfriend or whatever, whatever it is. What are some practical things that we can do to pour life into our relationships, to change the atmosphere of our relational world for the better? Now, in order to answer that question, we have been looking at this amazing passage of scripture in the book of, of um, Colossians. In chapter 3 of this letter to the church in Colossae, the Apostle Paul gives this amazing wisdom about relationships, how to make our relationships better. He, he begins by looking at this critically important foundation, which we talked about in week one, two weeks ago, and that foundation is agape love. Agape love. It is a decision to put another person's needs above our own. And so in the first week, we talked about what what that kind of love looks like, practically speaking. <clears throat> By the way, for those of you who are married or are soon to be married, if you want to go deeper into that topic, into the agape love and marriage, I, let me recommend a resource to you. I just recently watched a series on our Right Now Media channel. Right Now Media, if you don't know, you need to know about this. Right Now Media is basically a Christian Netflix with thousands of teaching videos, kids' videos, Christian movies. And the cool thing is it is totally free to you. The church is paying the subscription for you. So it is totally free to you. Our church pays a monthly subscription so that anyone who is a part of Christ's community can enjoy these videos, can watch these videos. And there's, there's thousands of them. <clears throat> you just need to go on our website. You can sign up. You just got to go on our website, get the sign-in code. It's under the resource section on our website. You can get that information, <clears throat> and then you can sign up and, and begin enjoying this. You can stream it to your television. You watch it online or whatever. So anyway, I was watching a three-part teaching series by Andy Stanley called I Marriage. I, little I, marriage. It's fantastic. Um, it offers tremendous insight into marriage. I would encourage every married couple to watch this sometime soon. I mean, summer TV viewing is just reruns anyway, right? Um, so here's a chance, chance to strengthen your marriage. I, marriage is the name of the series. And we've actually queued it up for you. If you go to the menu, there's a Christ community section. If you go to the menu and, and you can find it on the main menu or you can look in the, the marriage area. Okay, so that was week one, <clears throat> excuse me, agape love. And then last week, we, in, in week two, we talked about the life-giving power of forgiveness. Now, both of these things, agape love and forgiveness, have the power to dramatically impact our relationships. They can, literally, they can shift 
the atmosphere in our relational world. Which leads to a third life-giving element in a healthy relational world. And it's found in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3. So please read this out loud with me, okay? Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Okay, this is God's word. This is a verse that on the surface... It's very easy to misinterpret. It's easy to misunderstand. Because when we initially hear this phrase, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, we immediately think inner peace, right? Jesus filling us with peace in our hearts in the midst of difficulties, which is an awesome thing. It's a biblical thing. There are lots of verses that talk about that. He does fill us with his peace in the midst of difficulties. But that's not what this verse is talking about. The context here is relationships. He is talking about a principle that should govern our relationships as believers in Jesus. And that principle is peace. Peace between us and other people. Not just not inner peace, peace between us and other people. Paul says in this verse that we are called to this. We are called to be people of peace. Now, Jesus makes this same point in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Check this verse out. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See, according to Jesus, one of the characteristics of being a Christ follower is that we are to be peacemakers. We are to be people who bring peace into our relationships, which is not an easy thing to do. I think all of us here can acknowledge that conflicts happen in any relationship. There are lots of opportunities for peace to be broken, for hurts to happen, for relationships to be infiltrated by coldness or distance or hurt feelings or, or miscommunication or snarky attitudes or difficulties in, in whatever. I mean, th- this is reality in any, in any significant relationship, whether it's our family, whether it's our church, whether it's our workplace, our school. I mean, conflicts happen. Conflict is normal. What makes the difference between a healthy or an unhealthy relationship is not the absence or presence of conflict, because every relationship will have conflict. It's not the presence or absence of conflict that makes the difference. It's how we handle that conflict. That's what makes all the difference. See, what Jesus and what Paul are saying is that if we want to enjoy healthy relationships, we need to be peacemakers. We need to be people who actively work to bring and to maintain peace. Because here's the deal. Peace doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't. It doesn't. Any more than a beautiful garden just sort of happens. We all know that a beautiful garden happens because someone regularly gets on their knees and they're weeding and all of that stuff, right? Someone makes the effort to maintain the garden. And peace is the same way. It is the same way. It has to be maintained. It doesn't just happen. It has to be maintained. And Jesus says, I want you, as my followers, I want you to be that gardener in your relationships. I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to respond to conflict in a healthy way. Even if people in your workplace are not responding, it doesn't matter. I want you to respond in a healthy way. I want you to be blessed are the peacemakers. Now, here's the challenge. We don't naturally 
do this. <laughs> we don't naturally respond to conflict in a healthy way. We don't. We are not naturally peacemakers. And, and there are two alternatives that we prefer, that we tend to choose in the midst of conflict that, that become very natural to us. One is what I would call peace faking. Okay, rather than peacemaking, this is peace faking. And the underlying rule in peace faking is avoidance. Avoid the conflict at all costs. We don't like conflict. So let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's just pretend everything is okay. Don't rock the boat. Just avoid this person. Avoid talking about the situation. Stuff your emotions and then act like everything is okay. <clears throat> the problem is everything is not okay. And when the conflict goes underground, it wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc. Listen to Pastor Bill Hybels' description of the impact this peace-faking response has in our relationships. He says, misunderstandings arise, but they're never resolved. Feelings beg to be shared, but they're not. Offenses occur, but nobody talks about them. Doubts about the other person's integrity creep in, but they're never dealt with. In time, such relationships deteriorate. The secret agendas of hurt and misunderstanding lead to detachment, distrust, bitterness. Feelings of love begin to die. It's the story of too many marriages, too many family relationships, too many friendships. I mean, he is so right. Everyone loses when we fake peace when we avoid dealing with conflict. And here's what makes this even more challenging in our context here. Often in, in Christian circles, um, and there, some of us here, we're, we're followers of Jesus, the others of you are not, and this is a great message for you to kind of hear just in terms of exploring Christianity. We're glad you're here, but I just want to speak for the Christians here. <clears throat> Sometimes in Christian circles, we think peace faking is actually the spiritual response, Right? Don't rock the boat. Oh, don't say anything that might hurt anyone's feelings, right? Let's just be nice, right? Let, let's just, let, let, you know, let's just kind of suck it up. Just keep the peace. We, we think that's the spiritual response, and it's not because it's not peace that we're keeping. It's fake. It's a counterfeit peace. And so we may pat ourselves on the back, you know, for avoiding a difficult situation, but we're really harming our relationships in the process by being peace fakers by being avoiders of conflict. <clears throat> the other alternative response to conflict that often comes naturally to us is peace-breaking. Peace-breaking. So rather than avoiding, we attack. What does this look like? Well, it could be verbally attacking others, right? Either to their face or more conveniently, more typically, behind their back, right? I mean, honestly, isn't it easier to complain to 10 people than to have one productive, respectful conversation with the person who actually hurt us. I mean, sometimes peace breaking can be done in a passive aggressive way. And we think, oh, I'm not verbally assaulting this person, so I'm not peace breaking. Well, hold on. What do we do? We do it passive aggressively. We ignore the person. We give them a cold shoulder when we see them. When we're asked if everything is okay, we say, oh yeah, yeah, it's okay, I'm fine. But everything's not, we're not fine. And everyone knows we're not fine. And we kind of want everyone to know we're not fine, right? <laughs> That's peace breaking. 
So when we consciously or subconsciously um, uh, utilize peace faking or peace breaking, we are not. We are not letting the peace of Christ rule in our relationships. We are not living up to our calling as Christ followers. So what does peacemaking look like? You know, it's interesting how Paul states this in verse 15. Look again at what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Now this rule, this word rule that he uses here, it's an interesting word. It's a word that was used in that day to describe an official at a sporting event. Right? So like an umpire. They didn't have baseball back then, but the sporting events they had, they would have someone like that. That's what this word means. In in a baseball game, the umpire enforces the rules, right? The umpire calls it a ball, calls it a strike. Whatever they call it, that's what it is. It's his or her call. So by using this word, Paul is saying that we are to be governed by, we are to be ruled by peace in our relationships. In other words, there are principles that we are to abide by because we are followers of Jesus. And it is not about our personality. It is not about our personality. I hear people say all the time, oh, I I don't want to talk to this person about this issue because I'm I'm an introvert. It's just not my personality. You know, I just don't like conflict. It's not my personality. You know, I can't find, I can't find any place in scripture where introverts are given a pass on this, okay? Where, where there's a pass for introverts or certain personalities. It's not there. We, all of us, we are called to peace. Extroverts, introverts, doesn't matter. We are called to peace. And honestly, I don't, I don't know of anyone who really likes conflict. That's not the issue. It's what we're called to. We are called to peace. Paul says we are called to live by these principles regardless of whether we feel like it, regardless of our personality or whatever. Okay, so how do we let the peace of Christ rule in our relationships? Okay, well, let me let me mention two core practices that 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 help us understand what Paul is talking about here. They're found in other places in the Bible. Some Paul, some Jesus, but they're, they're, they're found here. They're practices that enable us to apply this principle. Two practices. First, peacemaking practice. Very, very important. Start with your own heart. Start with your own heart. <clears throat> Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, which means that the beginning place for peacemaking is right here. It's in our own heart. I mean, let's just admit something really, really important. Rarely is conflict 100% one-sided, right? It's rarely is it 100% one person's fault, right? We are all all flawed. We are all self-focused. We are all wounded sinners, No one, no one comes to a conversation, no one comes to a problem um, in a relationship or whatever without some baggage that contributes either to their understanding of or their interpretation of or their their, their handling of the situation. We, We all have baggage that we bring. Sometimes it's our own pride. You know, we just... Our, our pride gets hit and we react out of that. Sometimes it's our own insecurity. Sometimes it's a critical attitude that we have towards other people that just contributes to the conflict. So rather than immediately, we have a conflict, rather than immediately heading down the hall, you know, to, the, to that person's office to have it out, <laughs> we need to stop, take a breath, and examine our own heart. 
Why am I so angry? Why am I so angry? Why did I get so defensive? What, what is going on in me? What, why did her words hurt me so much? Is there some idol in my heart? Is there some pride issue I need to look at here first? Is there something going on in my heart that's actually contributing to this conflict, to the way I'm responding here? Is there something going on in me? Jesus made this point so vividly. He made this point so vividly in, in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I mean, this is so hilarious when you envision this scene, right? Uh, this, 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 it's, it's hilarious and also convicting at the same time. So imagine, right, I have this log sticking out of my eye, and I'm walking around with this log, and I'm saying, hey, dude, you got a speck of dust in your eye, man. You need to deal with that. And I got this log in my own eye all the, all the time. Hey, you got, you got to do something about that, dude. I mean, about that, that, that speck of dust. I mean, can you imagine that? It's hilarious, and and yet we do it all the time. Now, now notice Jesus' point here, his point is not that we are to ignore the, the speck of sawdust. It's not that we are to ignore the other person's issues and stuff. No, no, no. What he says is, get your own log out first. Get the log out of your own eye first, and then you can deal with the speck of sawdust. So, so in other words, start with your own heart. Start with your own heart. Examine your heart to see if there is any way you have contributed to this conflict. And then own that. Even if it's just 3%, own your 3%, okay? Even if it's 10%, we need to own our 10%. Confess that to God. And it also mean, it may mean bringing this up. When you talk to the other person, and we'll get that to that in a minute, but when you're talking to them, you're just apologizing how, for how you've contributed to this conflict as well. Own whatever that is, own it. <clears throat> this kind of humility is huge. It is huge in being a peacemaker. I mean, without it, I don't think we really can be peacemakers without this kind of humility and willingness to look at our own heart first and own our own stuff. Which leads to the second key principle, gently engage in conversation with the person. Go to the person, gently engage with them. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now this, this is so uh, simple and obvious at one level and yet <laughs> we don't do it, right? I mean, how many conflicts would be dealt with in a healthy way if we consistently practice what Jesus is talking about? In fact, I heard a pastor um, say it the other way on a leadership kind of broadcast thing. He, he, he recently asked it this way. He said, when we have a conflict, here's the question. When we have a conflict, is our instinctive response to talk to the person or to talk about the person to other people? That's huge. Is, in a conflict, is our instinctive response to talk to the person or to talk about the person to other people? That is so often the issue, and that's, that's why, why conflicts don't get dealt with. 
We, we talk to other people about this person, about what they said or what they did, but we don't go to the person. And there are, there are several problems with this not going to the person approach. For one thing, we don't have all the information, right? We don't know why this person did what they did. And here's the deal. In the absence of direct conversation, here's what happens. We begin filling in the blanks of this person's story. In the absence of a, of a conversation with them, we start filling in the blanks of their story. Oh, they did that because they don't like me. That's why they did that. Oh, they made that decision because they just want to be a bag of church, right? That, that's why they did it. I mean, we, we, we make all these negative assumptions about what people are thinking, what their motives are, what their rationale is. And often, folks, let's just admit it, often our assumptions are wrong. We're trying to fill in the blanks of the story and we're wrong. But our assumptions become our reality, right? They become our reality until we talk to the person unless we talk to the person. We don't know their motives. We don't know their heart. We don't know their, their reasoning until we talk to them. It doesn't help. Here's the deal too. It doesn't help to talk to 10 other people who also don't know this per, why this person did what they did, <laughs> right? It doesn't help to talk to 10 other people. And all that does is just spread more negativity about the, the, this person. And so instead of just you assuming things, now five other people are assuming things, negative things about this person. As we said earlier, this, this kind of avoidance, it poisons the soil of our relationships. It just does. Uh, we talked about this last week, too. It just infects relational environments. The Bible makes it very clear that peacemaking involves going to the person with whom we have a conflict and gently engaging them. This does not mean going with both barrels loaded, ready to shout them down. It means going with an open and loving heart. I love how Paul says this in Ephesians 4.15. Look at this. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. See, that's how we're to do this. And notice he talks, this is an issue of maturity. This is what maturity looks like. We go, we speak the truth in love. That's how we're to do it. Speak the truth in love. We, we, we obviously, we want to speak the truth. We want to share our perspective. We want to share our hurt. We want to share our frustration. But we want to do so in a loving way. And that means doing so gently. Not in an accusatory tone. It means, it means having our words prepared ahead of time can be very, very helpful. It means using I words rather than you words, right? So for instance, you know, we'd say, hey, in that meeting yesterday, I, I kind of felt like you were attacking me. That feels very different than in that meeting yesterday, you attacked me. Why'd you do that? We, we, we can easily put people on the defensive in the way we address the issue. Now, another, another aspect of this loving approach is to come to the conversation. This is huge. Come to the conversation, even if you're the one confronting, come to the conversation with a commitment and a desire, not only to be understood, but also to understand. Come with a desire to understand where they're coming from, because the reality is people do what they do for a reason. People do what they do for a reason, and a lot of times we don't know the reason. We assume we know, but we often don't know. We only see the situation from our side. So, so we draw all sorts of conclusions about why this person did what they did, and when we don't know. 
So a loving approach allows room for the person to explain their perspective. Tell me what was going on in that meeting. This is what I felt. And tell me what you were experiencing in that. So in that kind of a context, we can begin to actually dialogue. We can, the, the goal is that both sides would feel heard. Both sides would feel understood. The other day we were eating dinner <clears throat> at our house and, uh, and some hamburger buns were on the table. And uh, I, I sort of wondered um, how old the buns were. And, and I have this thing about expiration dates. Okay. Um, so, so I looked at the sale date, right? And, and I made a comment about it. And I could tell I hit a nerve with Raylene. Um, you know that feeling when the temperature drops about 40 degrees, right? I just kind of knew I hit a nerve, but I didn't really understand why. <clears throat> and so I'm kind of getting... We are, you know, kind of a little defensive, a little frustrated, like, what's the big deal here, right? But instead of kind of sitting in that frustration or whatever that was and letting it fester, I decided I would just ask her. So I said, hey, what's going on? What did I just do? I, I was just checking the date on the buns. And she said, do you really think I'm poisoning our family? And suddenly, when she said that, I suddenly understood how my words made her feel. I understood, like I didn't trust her. And I totally understood what she was coming, where she was coming from. I was able to apologize. I didn't intend that, but that's exactly how it felt. And, 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 and the tension in the room, it, it just disappeared because we were talking. And now I wasn't assuming, I was, you know, the, the, we were talking. Now, honestly, I mean, that was, that was a great example. I have many other examples that didn't go as well on my end. It could have just as easily gone the other way because I know my flesh. I could have just as easily powered up, defended myself. Why are you so sensitive? Get over it. You know, that kind of thing. And it would have been a long evening. Um, I mean, that's the way conflict often works, right? There are, here's the deal. In any conflict, there are these moments. They're like these defining moments. There are these moments when it could go either way, depending on how we respond. We know it. It could go either way. Are we going to power up? Are we going to try to understand? At the core of the response here is what we talked about a few weeks ago. It's this agape love. It's putting on humility. It's putting on compassion, seeking to understand as well as to be understood. Yeah, we want to be heard, but we also want to understand. Now I realize in that example I just shared, everything worked out nicely and in a very short period of time with a nice little bow. And not all conflicts are like that. See, when we choose to go to the person with whom we have a conflict and to gently engage and we do, you know, we go to understand, we do it gently and all those things, even when we do it the right way, it still may not go well. Um, initially, um, we may enter into what we often refer to around here as the tunnel of chaos, the tunnel of chaos. So here's the analogy, and I got this from Bill Hybels, I think, but if you want to go skiing at Vail, you know, you have to drive through the Eisenhower Tunnel. It's, an, it's a mile and a half long tunnel. You may not like tunnels, but that's the only way to get to Vail from here. See, in, in our relationships, when we choose to gently engage and talk to someone about an area of hurt, or conflict. Sometimes the conversation goes great. The person hears us and we hear them and they understand us and we understand them and we apologize and they apologize. We're good. I mean, that's awesome when it happens that way. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes people get defensive. Sometimes people get angry. Intense emotions can be expressed all of a sudden the intensity in the room goes up and all this. I mean, these conversations, they can be really, really hard. They can be really hard. See, what we're doing, we're entering into the tunnel of chaos. 
But, and here's the deal, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to enter into the tunnel of chaos because a healthier relationship is on the other side. And without the tunnel, you can't go skiing. Without the tunnel, we can't have the healthy relationship that we long for. So rather than ignoring, rather than pretending or avoiding and walking on eggshells, we gently engage. We speak the truth in love, realizing that we may be entering into the tunnel of chaos. But if we persevere through that tunnel, and that's what it takes sometimes, just perseverance, patience, multiple conversations, persevering, listening, dialoguing, and coming up with solutions, and trying to understand and be understood, all those things, if we persevere through that, we will find that we can enjoy some great skiing on the other side, relationally speaking, a much healthier relationship. Okay, so how do we find the strength to do this? How do we find the courage to enter into the tunnel to pursue peace when it's really, really hard to do that? I want to go back to Paul's initial statement in verse 15 because this is so important and it's easy to miss. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Whose peace is he talking about? Christ's. It's the peace of Jesus. See, when we don't want to deal with conflict, when we would prefer to avoid and not rock the boat, and, 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 and here's the deal. What Paul is saying here is we have a resource. When we don't want to engage in that way, we don't want to go in the tunnel of cash, we have a resource to look to. And that resource is Jesus. Because we need to remember something very, very, very important. Jesus entered into the tunnel of chaos for us. Right? He entered into the tunnel of chaos for us, hanging on a cross, fighting for every breath. In that moment when he took our sin upon himself, his heavenly father, remember, his heavenly father turned his face away. So Jesus was utterly alone. Talk about a tunnel of chaos here. He was utterly alone as he paid for our sin. Why did he do that? for peace, to bring peace between us and God. That's why he did it. It was about peace. It was about reconciling us sinners to a holy God. See, Jesus, through his death, through the tunnel of chaos he went through, he enabled our broken relationship with God to be restored. And he voluntarily laid down his life to make this happen. He entered into the tunnel of chaos for us. And here's what that means. Whenever we are facing a conflict that we would prefer to avoid, Jesus can give us the courage to move towards that person and pursue peace with them. We can go in the presence of the Spirit, bringing the peace of Jesus. Now, I realize there, there are all sorts of scenarios, and some of you are thinking, oh, you don't know what relationship, you know, I'm not talking, an abusive relationship, things like that, you know, you know there, there, there are certainly a few qualifiers or whatever, but this is a general principle. We can go, when we go to the person, we go in the presence of Jesus, and it's the peace of Jesus that we're drawing from and that we're offering in this relationship. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes the person isn't really open to reconciliation. Maybe they're not even emotionally healthy enough for this or whatever, that they're not open to reconciliation. And, and, and honestly, there's not much else we can do in that situation. I like how Paul says that in Romans 12, verse 18, look at this verse. If it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that. As far as it depends on you. That is such a great reminder. We can't make people work through conflict. We can't. We can't make them live in peace with us. What we can do, what we are called to do, if you're a Christ follower, what we are called to do is pursue peace. Is to pursue peace. Do as much as we can on our end, Paul's saying, to pursue peace. Not to be peace fakers, not to be peace breakers, but to be peace makers. Choosing to pursue peace. Because Jesus pursued peace with us. And then after we do that, we're pursuing peace. We're relying on the peace that, because he, he pursued peace with us and his peace in our hearts. And then we leave the rest up to him. We leave the rest up to him. Be peacemakers. Pursue peace. And trust Jesus to help you in that process. And then leave the rest in his hands. All right, let's pray together. <coughs> so Holy Spirit, would you come right now and apply what we've heard in a really, really practical way. And so here's, here's the question for all of us. I want you just to quiet your heart right now. Here's the question. Is there a conflict that you are avoiding or attacking? Is there a relationship where there's a conflict? You're avoiding this person. You're talking to other people about this person. Is there a relationship like that in your world right now? And I want us, first of all, if the Holy Spirit identifies a relationship like that, first, first issue, start with your own heart. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, would you open our eyes to see if there's any way we're contributing in the way we're responding to this person? Maybe it's our own insecurity. Maybe it's our own pride. Would you help us see our own contribution to this conflict? And I pray that as we ask that, as we go before you and ask that, and this coming week or whatever, Lord, you would open our eyes to see where the log is. Or maybe it really is just a little thing, but it's, it's an issue. It's something we've been bringing to this conflict. And we pray that you'd help us see it and have the humility to own our stuff and to bring it to you. So we confess that. We just bring these things to you. And then second principle here, Lord, I just pray you'd help us apply it. I pray you'd give us the courage to go to this person. Give us a prayerful heart to think about what we're going to say. Maybe write it out just to prepare so we go in a, in a not an accusatory, but we go in a gentle way. But we say what needs to be said. And I pray you'd help when in those conversations happen, help us listen as well as talk Help us understand as well as this desire to be understood. And I pray that we would go in prayerfully that the person we go to, they, their heart would be open to. And I, I want to pray as well, Lord, I, man, just for grace in the tunnel of chaos, when we have these hard conversations, something maybe in our marriage that, you know, we just need to talk about. 
or maybe in our family and these just unwritten rules. No one talks about feelings, all that. So I just pray whoever's going to have the courage to wade into that. I just pray for grace in the tunnel of chaos and that you would enable us through your grace just to persevere through that tunnel and to have hard conversations so that healthier relationships result on the other side. And I'm praying for generations to be impacted because of our applying these principles today. Generations impacted as relationships are reconciled. And you're the one that can do that. And and so we thank you, God, that ultimately it's because you entered into the tunnel of chaos for us. Jesus, that's why. That's how we can do this in our relationships. And, And I just, Lord... Thanks for the reminder. We are called to this. This is not optional. (laughs) We are called to this, to be people of peace. And so I pray for that. Help us to be people of peace. And Lord, I also just want to pray in in, um, just this whole relationship series. What I realize in in this room, in this church, there are many here probably feeling lonely, disconnected, maybe just maybe widowed, maybe divorced, maybe single and not wanting to be the, and this whole area talking about relationships, it, it's so painful. And God, I just, I pray for those folks. They would know your nearness. They would know your love. And I just pray for them to look to you in the midst of the loneliness, in the midst of all they're experiencing, and to bring their longings to you. I just pray you'd meet them there and that you would help them grow in this area. But in the meantime, to really find their life in you and their hope in you. So I pray for them. And I also want to pray, I'm sure there there are many here with just in estranged relationships, maybe a prodigal child, maybe it's a sibling you haven't spoken to for years and you want so desperately for the door to be open for agape love, for reconciliation. And, but instead there's just this emptiness. There's just this ache and you maybe don't even know how to proceed. And Lord, I just want to pray for those situations. I pray you would give us wisdom and grace that we would put on agape love, supernatural love. When everything within us doesn't want to have that conversation, we don't want to do this. You would help us. And we just invite you into that ache. Maybe we've had those conversations and the person doesn't want to engage or whatever. And Lord, it's still, it, it's, it's an ache. It hurts. And so we bring you those relationships. We just acknowledge them. And we pray for you to fill them. Bring healing in your timing. Bring healing, Lord. And I just thank you that you, Lord, the Bible says that you heal the brokenhearted. And you save those that are crushed in spirit. And so do that. Do that, Lord. Just bring your healing. Bring your salvation, bring your comfort and peace as we worship you. We love you, Jesus, our peacemaker. We love you, our Prince of Peace. Thank you, Jesus, for being such an amazing Savior. We worship you. We worship you. So why don't we do that at whatever campus you're at here. If you would want to stand as we begin to worship, set us free to worship you, Lord Jesus. Jesus.